guys, it's Ed's first time in the band. Wasn't he brilliant? Never again. <laughs> Never again. A pastor of many talents. Wow. Um, it's nice to see you guys. Um, if you've never met me before, my name's Alice. I can see a few familiar faces, but I can also see some new ones. Um, I work for Bread. And as you can see, I am keeping my coat on. It's very cold. Um, when I first moved here, I was certain that I would never, ever, ever have a bad word to say about the Californian weather. I had come from cold, wet, dank, gray London. Um, and this place was absolute paradise. But I've now been here for three years, and I now realize that it really can be too sunny. And it can be too hot or too cold at 60 degrees. And to top it all off, right now, the sun apparently thinks that it's bedtime at 4.30, which I hate. I hate the darkness. But this is my point. During these winter months, we spend a lot more of our lives in darkness. And as I was reading the Christmas story again this week, because, hello, December 1st, it's Advent. Where did that come from? Um, but I was reading the Christmas story again this week, and it got me thinking about how most of it takes place in the dark. It happens at night. So the wise men follow the star through the night. The angels come to the shepherds while they're watching their flocks at night. Jesus is born in the middle of the night. So it all takes place in the dark. But of course, the whole story is about light. The great theme of the Christmas story is light coming into the darkness, light overcoming the darkness, light destroying the darkness, the light of the star and the light of the angel visitations foreshadow what's to come. The arrival of the light of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, Son of God. And of course, light doesn't just enter the story at Jesus' birth. God's glory, God's light has been present throughout the biblical narrative. Just to name a few examples, um, God's very first creative declaration was, let there be light in Genesis 1. Um, the burning bush appears to Moses and reveals God's name in Exodus. And the pillar of fire famously uh, guides the Israelites throughout the desert at night. And also, 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah foretold his birth as a light dawning. It says this in Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So... There is a lot of light in the Old Testament, but it seems that it's always there for a temporary moment, for a specific person, for a specific reason, and then it goes away again. But then comes Christmas, and the birth of Jesus declares that the darkness has been overcome once and for all. No longer are there only momentary glimpses of God's closeness, and of his light, because the light now has a heartbeat and the light has hands and feet, and the light has come to invade our very human lives because the divine cosmic truth and reality has become a person, he's become like us, and he's come to stay forever. It says this in John 1, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus' light is promised to anyone who receives him. Jesus' light is not only promised to the nation of Israel, although of course he does come for them, which it says in verse 11, but the light of Jesus supersedes the expectation of Israel because the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and the arrival of their Messiah does not only save them, God's chosen people, but Jesus has come to shine upon everyone, the entire world. Jesus turns the societal order on its head and he opens his arms to everyone who calls upon him, prostitutes and kings, men and women, shepherds and sorcerers, Jews and Gentiles. In Jesus' kingdom, they are all given the right to become children of God and they all sit down at his table as equals. So two things are clear. Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus comes to shine upon everyone. There is no exceptions. But if those two declarations really are true, if Jesus really does dispel darkness once and for all, and if, as Christians, apparently now the light has dawned for each and every one of us, as Isaiah said, why the heck does it so often feel like we are still living in darkness? Why does it often feel like we continue to carry things around from our past. Why do we feel alone or like God is silent? And why does it so often feel like we're lost? And in light of those kinds of questions, I want to spend the rest of this morning exploring what Jesus' light is actually like and what it is that he actually does. I'm gonna read a very famous part of the Christmas story. Here are the shepherds in the desert watching their flocks. This is Luke 2, 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping their watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So there's three key points that I want to extract from this verse. But to begin, let's think about light for a moment. Because without light, nothing lives. Nothing grows, nothing thrives, everything dies. Light is the life source for everything that each one of us sees and experiences. Every plant, every tree, every animal, every human being that has ever existed, all there because of light. 
In many Scandinavian countries, doctors have to prescribe vitamin D to children, especially over the winter months, because it's dingy and gray and dark. Take Iceland, for example. I read this week a fact that apparently, in December of 2018, the average amount of daylight hours in Iceland was four hours and seven minutes a day. The sun rises at about 11.57, and then it's already gone by 5 p.m. So when children, in fact, when humans don't see enough sun, it can cause them serious immune deficiencies. And so you have to medicate it to stay healthy. And obviously, on a less serious medical level, we all experience this on a minor degree while living in LA because we've become so used to constant sun exposure that I'm sure I'm not the only one who experiences if there's a week of no sun, you begin to feel lethargy, you begin to feel tired, and it's because your body has become so used to soaking up all the sun that it's used to. So light creates and it sustains our lives. Light also brings us clarity. Um, this past week, I very unsuccessfully made my way to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Um, and because I can see it on your faces, I'm now going to tell you exactly what happened. Um, I woke up desperate for a pee. One of those... Um, is that already an overshare? Because I'm going to continue at this point. Um, it was one of those ones where you... Um, the only way I can ever describe this experience is... I always have this inward fear that if I get up too fast that I'm going to immediately pee my pants because I almost don't trust that I can like keep it in. Anyway, I made my... <laughs> Overshare? Welcome to church. Um, but I made my way to the bathroom with my hands out. I did the classic, like, I didn't turn the light on because I didn't want to wake up, so I was, like, feeling my wall to, like, get to the bathroom and found the bathroom door and managed to find my way to the toilet, and I did it very successfully, and everything was going well. And I um, grew in too much confidence. And I <laughs> stopped using my hands on the way back to my bed and honestly bashed my leg into my bed frame so hard that it bled. And I still have a bruise and like blood residue. And the reality is, it would have been easier if I turned the light on. Because light brings us clarity. Light shows us where things really are. See what I did there? And we're back. Um, and finally, let us not forget that light is powerful. If we're only a fraction further away from the sun, its heat wouldn't reach the earth and everything would wither and die. If we're a fraction nearer, it'd be too powerful and we would be burnt to a crisp. So light sustains and brings life. Light brings clarity. Light shows us the way to the bathroom. But light also has the power to destroy life in an instant. Imagine then that you're a shepherd minding your own business in the desert in the middle of the night. Think Joshua Tree if you've ever been. Pitch black, silence. The only sounds are momentary winds or crickets or the occasional from one of your sheep. And then suddenly, the entire desert, the surrounding landscape, is lit up. The message translation of verse 9 says that God's glory blazed around them. God's glory lit up the whole night sky. Can you imagine that? 
The light entering the shepherd's eyes and hitting their retinas is the glory of the living God. The light is not just given by God, it is God himself, shining upon them, blazing around them. And there's an angel, a resident of heaven, talking to you. No wonder they're terrified. It's like, what the heck? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I arrived to my therapy session uh, 50 minutes late. And it's an hour long, so was doing well. Um, but I actually left my house on time, and I got to my therapist on time. But I decided, in my sheer terror and fear that was within me, to sit in my car for 50 minutes. And over the previous few weeks, we'd talked a lot about my pain from the past and how current behaviors of mine are connected to that pain. And those conversations had started to feel really disconcerting for a control freak like me and very overwhelming. I felt like, the feeling felt like, um, like I'd been found out. My most shameful information out in the light with someone I didn't really know very well. I didn't want to walk back into her office because I didn't want her prodding and poking my pain because it is my pain and I am comfortable with it. Thank you very much. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Darkness can actually be quite a comfortable place to be, especially when it's our own. The shepherds felt safe in the darkened desert with their sheep because it's their normal, everyday, monotonous life. They're used to it. I feel safe with the pain that I've been dragging around with me for 26 years because I've had it for so long. We become used to the darkness um, because it's what we know. And then sometimes we have those experiences where it feels like, wham, the glory of God shines a piercing light into the brokenness and it can feel immediately scary. And each one of us has our personal shadows, things we've done, things that have been done to us, recurring patterns of behavior, a need to be in control to be okay, a crippling sense of self-hatred. I could go on and on, list more and more things. The Bible calls these things shadows of death. They're killjoys. They kill our freaking joy and stop us living fully and joyfully and fearfully and courageously. And so when we're in the presence of God and things come to the surface, it can feel like a bit uncomfortable. Light shines and brings clarity and we have this urge to run back to the darkness that we're used to and hide ourselves in it. We have an urge to lock ourselves in the car outside your therapist's office for 50 minutes because it feels safer. But it says this in verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. So my first point is this. God's light brings clarity, that's true. But with clarity always, always comes healing. So what, we always pray for people at the front. So when you pray, get prayed for at the front, at the end of a service, or when you just ask God to meet you by his spirit in your, in your room, on your own, 
it is totally normal that you might feel like your shadows are exposed. Because as his perfect piercing white light shines into every corner of your heart, it can expose wounds that you've just been living your life with, you've just been used to. But God's love is nothing like therapy. Although, just caveat, therapy is awesome. Go to therapy if you want. But God's love is infinitely better than therapy. Because the love of God doesn't just open the wound and help you identify the glass and the dirt and the grit that's hiding inside of it. God's love washes out all of the debris. Every last piece of it. He washes them away by the power of his light, by his love. And when the wound is clean, he doesn't leave it to air. He heals it once and for all. And this morning... Jesus wants to take whatever is making you feel shamed or guilty and just get rid of it. You don't have to tell anyone else. You can just tell Jesus. Just as the angel says to the shepherds, you don't have to fear because you can just go and see him. You can go and see the Savior. Let me read you this poem called BCAD by UA Fanthorpe. This was the moment when before turned into after, and the future's uninvented timekeepers presented arms. This was the moment when nothing happened, only dull peace sprawled boringly over the earth. This was the moment when even energetic Romans could find nothing better to do than counting heads in remote provinces. And this was the moment when a few farm workers and three members of an obscure Persian sect walked haphazard by starlight straight into the kingdom of heaven. My favorite phrase in that poem is that they walked haphazard by starlight. Because have you ever thought what it would actually be like to follow a star? I feel like we tell this story and we don't really think about it. That's not going to be easy. They don't have an iPhone or a compass. They're just walking, haphazardly following a star, hoping, like, maybe at the end we're going to find a new king. But I don't know. Um, and I actually think that's often kind of what our Christian journey is like. It, doesn't, it for sure doesn't feel simple or easy. Um, the path doesn't seem direct or without challenge. Each one of us walks haphazardly carrying our own personal backpack filled with personal experiences, our doubts, our family life, our current life situations. And all of these things that we carry can make us feel alone or misunderstood or uncared for without purpose. It can make us feel like we are alone walking in the darkness, just haphazardly following a star. So here comes my second point. It is God's light. It's not on us. You can take the pressure off. You don't have to shine. You don't have to like try and shine your torch into the pitch black night. Because it's God's light that gives us direction. And his light, his star always, always directs us to Jesus. Jesus' light is not an abstract thing. It's a person. 
Later in the Gospels, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. He doesn't say, I have the light, or I can show you to the light, or I can take you to where the light is, or I can point you on to, towards the path that will take you to the light. No, he says, I am the light. I am the light. I am the star in the sky. I am the glory of God blazing around you. Jesus is not acting in abstract spiritual terms. He's saying, I'm a real person, and I will pour my light into you. This is something tangible to follow. He it is who guides us. Ed spoke brilliantly last week. If you didn't catch it, I'd podcast it. Um, but for your immediate enjoyment, here is a little teaser trailer of something that he said. One of Ed's key points um, explained the heart of Paul's ethics. So Paul says, you are new creations. It has been done. Nothing you can do can take that away from you. You have become made new in Jesus, but also act like it. Act like new creations. Go on becoming new. Put on your new self. So do you see the tension be between the two that Paul's balancing? So he says, you've been made new in Jesus, but go on becoming new. It's like both and. And here is an example of Paul's ethics in action. This is Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. You are light. Now live as light. My third and final point is this. Once you're in darkness, but now you are light. Not that you're simply hidden in the light of Jesus. It's not like you've stayed exactly the same, but you're just like standing behind the light of Jesus. In the moment you became a Christian... His light was poured into you, and his light is so drastically powerful that you were completely transformed. So much so that you became light. You became like Jesus. You resemble him. But in the same breath, you must become more like him. But how do you actually do that? The shepherds and the magi, the kings, went on a journey. And at the end of it, they spend time with Jesus. So they're not told to go and listen to him, although, of course, it's great to listen to Jesus. Um, they're not told to read about him, although, not knocking it, you should maybe read about Jesus. They're not told to download a pod podcast about him. I mean, you can do that. It's great. Teaching is awesome. But they're told to go and spend time with him. They're told to be in relationship to, with him, to worship him, to bring him gifts. And what actually happens after they do that? We don't often talk about that or think about that. Like, what actually happens to the kings and the shepherds afterwards? Well, the shepherds start behaving in a very unshepherdly fashion. This, look at the, remind, I'm just going to remind you of verse 17. It says this, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. And of course, people are amazed because Jesus is who they've been waiting for. They're hearing the good news for the first time. It's awesome. It's powerful. It's what they've been waiting for. But there is a piece of information that makes this story even more extraordinary because the, in the ancient world, it is shocking that it is the shepherds that are telling this story. And more so, that people then go ahead and listen to them. The Mishnah, which is the Jewish um, record of written, the Jewish written record of oral law, describes shepherds as incompetent. 
It even says that if a shepherd is to fall into a pit, you shouldn't feel obliged to get them out because it is just a shepherd. You could just leave them to die. Jeremiah documents that shepherds were deprived of all their civil rights. They couldn't fulfill judicial offices and they couldn't be admitted to court as witnesses. Shepherds were considered untrustworthy. And here's the final cherry on top of the shepherd's beep sandwich. Um, because they work with animals, because they work with carcasses of animals, they were considered ceremonially unclean. Shepherds were social outcasts. Honestly, the only friends they had were one another, their sheep, which sounds kind of comical, having sheep as friends, but I think it's pretty lonely. Imagine how lonely that is. Imagine the lack of purpose probably these men felt. Imagine the long, long hours of the pitch black night that you have to sit with your thoughts every day. These men, or I would say all women, but it was men, um, that we sing, I don't know, while we, while, what's the song about them? While we watch the shepherds, the blah, 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 that one. We sing that every year. We, lis we listen to this story every year. But actually, they didn't have any human connection. We sing these nice songs about them, but they, they didn't really have the same life that we experience. They were the untouchables. And God chooses these men to be the first people to worship Jesus, the first people to look, at the, look into the eyes of Jesus and experience his tangible healing presence, his tangible love, a tangible transformative experience. And this is the good bit because suddenly they're going around telling people what the score is. They're telling people about Jesus. They're preaching the gospel. The people that didn't have a voice now have a voice. The power of Jesus has transformed them. Once they're in darkness, now they are light. They have become like Jesus. And people cannot help but be amazed by them. People cannot help but be compelled to Jesus. Because there's this kind of alchemy that happens when we spend time in God's presence. We become transformed. And this is what's on offer to us this morning. It happens once, it happens when we become Christians, but it goes on happening. Jesus wants to pour more of his light and more of his light and more of his light. That's why it says, um, I'm trying to think where it says in the Bible, but it does say this in the Bible. Um, how much more will the Father give to those who ask? How much more of God's light do you want? Because all you have to do is ask for it. The light of Jesus brings clarity and healing. The light of Jesus leads us. And the light of Jesus transforms us. And all we've got to do is come to him. All we've got to do is spend time with him because it's not on us. All of those things happen by the power of his spirit. And I just want to end with this. We should never beat ourselves up when our focus is lost. Because we all procrastinate whether that's numbing ourselves or being hyper-focused on our achievements or sometimes something way more self-destructive. We've all been there. We've all done things that have made us feel far from Jesus. And none of us are ever completely pure in motive and will no doubt wander off again. But 
this morning, why don't you just choose to come back to him and choose to ask him to pour his light into you again and be set free. Cool. I'm feeling like let's sing a song because it feels silent and weighty in the room. So why don't we stand while we wait the ba- for the band to come up?